Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curve, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curve. Thanks, Polly. Well, keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight, we've got my panel, David Curtin who's the leader of the Heritage Party, Kelvin McKenzie, who's the former editor of The Sun, and Dr. Lisa McKenzie, fresh off a plane, Lisa. I mean, in this day and age, it's an achievement to even make it through an airport you, in one piece. You have no one. idea. <laughs> you have no idea how difficult it's With been. With the dramas. Yeah. Dramas. Well, what I always say, everybody, uh, regular viewers will know, I always say, you couldn't pay me, quite frankly, to go abroad right now for jollies anyway. Work's different. If you've got to go, you've got to go. But really, anyone that flies... Uh, now, for pleasure? Are you crazy? Not for me. I'll go camping in Cleethorpes any day. It's way less hassle. Well, anyway, that's my panel keeping me company until seven tonight. And you know the drill on Tubes & Co. is not just about us. It's about you at home as well. What's on your mind tonight? Get in touch. GBviews at gbnews.uk is the email. You can tweet me at Michelle Jubes or at gbnews. Don't forget, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. You can watch us live now. Some of you are. Good evening to you. Uh, listen to us on the radio, DAB+. Plus. You can download the app across social media. We're everywhere and wherever you join us from, you are very welcome tonight. Now, you'll all remember uh, the two by-elections, Tiverton and Honiton, uh, of course, Wakefield as well. Uh, Richard Ford was elected as one of those two last week. I cannot even believe it. it feels like an absolute lifetime ago. Uh, the Lib Dems won the Tiverton seat with 29.9% swing. This, of course... Uh, followed the resignation of Neil Parrish for uh, looking at tractors, shall we say, in the House of Commons. It's tea time after all. Uh, it's been nearly 100 years, by the way, since the Tories lost a parliamentary election in the Tiverton and Honiton area. Uh, Lib Dems, therefore, uh, described this win as sending shockwaves through the British political system. Uh, well, Richard Ford takes some time out from his busy diary to join me now. Good evening to you, Richard. Uh, your first day yesterday, you Hello, tabled Michelle. you tabled a bill to cut fuel duty uh, for rural areas like Devon. What else can our uh, constituencies expect? We have a big audience in your part of the woods. What, what are you going to deliver for them? Well, absolutely, you're right, Michelle. It was it was straight to work yesterday, tabling uh, a motion to cut rural fuel duty. Uh, we, we have a, a rural fuel duty cut already in part of Devon, and just one postcode actually in Linton. And I'd like to see this extended across Devon and, and across rural areas of this country. Uh, rural fuel duty cut from 5p to 10p off per litre. Yeah, Richard, talk to me if you will about this whole kind of sending shockwaves, etc. You know, do you think this vote was really people coming out, uh, in your case, to support the Lib Dems, or was it more a result of some very sophisticated tactical voting aimed not necessarily to support Lib Dems or Labour, but more to send uh, a short, sharp shock to the Tories? Well, uh, at the by-election in Tiverton and Honiton last week, we took support from, from traditional Labour voters, but also traditional Conservative voters as well. I mean, what I was hearing on the doorsteps during the, the six-week campaign is that people were very attracted by the Liberal Democrats' proposals. Just to use one example, Michelle, we've been talking about a, a VAT cut of 2.5% 
which have put £600 back into people's pockets. Uh, and, and this is the sort of attractive Liberal Democrat policy that, that people were very much voting in favour of. I'm not going to deny, however, that, that, that uh, the subject of Boris Johnson came up on the doorstep in many cases, and there's certainly a very great strength of feeling out there at the moment. I think Tiverton and Honiton voters were speaking on behalf of the country when they were voting to suggest that they too have no confidence in this Prime Minister. Yeah, but if the strength of feeling was that high, wouldn't the turnout have been slightly higher? I think actually we had a very high turnout for a by-election. You know that traditionally by-elections don't get the same sort of turnout that, uh, that a general election would get. But actually at over 50 percent, we're very pleased with the turnout. And I absolutely do feel that a very positive Liberal Democrat campaign really did exercise and mobilise people to come out and vote. Talk to me then, if you will, about the future. Do you think uh, Lib Dems have the potential to be part of the next go um, government? Would you form a coalition, say, for example, with the Tories again? I'm, I'm not going to get into hypothetical scenarios about the future. I mean, Michelle, it's day two for me in a new job uh, as the MP for Tiverton and Honiton. At this time, my interest is entirely in, in doing the best job I can to represent the constituents who've placed their faith and trust in me. So to talk about future governments just seems like a very long way off, actually, when really what I'm doing at the moment is, is seeking to, to represent those constituents who've placed their trust in me. Yeah, let's talk about then uh, single markets. I know very much, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you have a sentiment, the Lib Dems, that you would try and push us back into the single market. But didn't we actually vote for Brexit, one of the reasons being to step away completely from the EU? Are you trying to get us back into the EU by stealth? There's, there's been, I mean, and again, I'm going to just refer back to, to the uh, election campaign that I've just fought. Issues of the UK's relations with Europe just were not coming up on the doorstep. It's not what people feel uh, is, is of interest to them right now. Um, and, and actually, frankly, looking at relations between the UK and the EU, they are at a real low at the moment. So, frankly, you know, talk about um, the, the future status of our relationship is really a very moot at the moment. What we, what we need to do instead is to ensure that the government isn't botching international trade deals uh, and causing great suffering for our farmers. Just to give you an example, I mean, we know that the Australia trade deal is costing British farmers £94 million per year. And this is by the government's own analysis that, that this international trade deal uh, is, is causing British farmers to suffer. Uh, and so I'm much more interested and exercised by the, the, the new trading arrangements and ensuring that we get those back on track into a place where uh, farmers and, and others can benefit from the UK's international trade relationships. Richard Ford, congratulations on your appointment. Some free career advice from me to you. Stay away from uh, Googling tractors while you're at work and you won't go far wrong. All the best, thank you. Uh, Kelvin, where do you stand on some of this? Because I think if you're a politico, if you're a journalist or all the rest of it, you're into all this kind of by-election stuff. You make comments like, whoa, what shockwaves went through the political system. Yep. Your average man on the street, though, how important do you reckon by-elections even are to them? If it's not their area, of course, it might be a bit more of it is their area. Although I say that, but only 50% of the people pretty much even bothered to turn out in that yeah, area. Yeah, right. Anyway. So, so it, that was, it was a third down anyway. Anyway, in the end of the day, by-elections are of no consequence whatsoever. 
you want to kick the cut. Nobody likes a government that is in for four, four five years. They, something's always going to make them angry. The prices are going up, something's going wrong, that road's not being built, that, that supermarket's shut down. It's a disaster. So what do they do? When they get the opportunity, they go out there and they give the sitting government, whichever, of whichever colour it is, a bloody good kicking. And this is what's happened here. And actually, if you look at national polls, and this is where, I, if I was Starmer, I'd be extremely alarmed. With cost of living through the roof, wars going on, supermarket shelves empty, what's happened? The last YouGov poll put Labour five points ahead and another poll a couple of days earlier put Labour two points ahead. That's the thing I'd be most worried about. Tiverton is of no consequence. He'll be lucky, honestly, go back to him in five years' time, he'll be lucky. He'll be probably uh, pushing a broom outside Aldi's, that bloke food. Pushing a broom outside Aldi in five years? Don't know. Well, we can have a bet on that. We'll bet a pint on it. Okay. Uh, David, though, I do think that this whole kind of tactical voting, I don't share the sentiment that this was like, oh, yeah, let's suck it to the government. Let's, we all love the Lib Dems or we all love Labour or whoever it is, quite frankly. I just think it's a very sophisticated campaign mm. to um, kind of, I don't know, I don't even want to say send a message because I don't even think it is really even sending a message. It's about orchestrated tactical voting. And I wonder how much of that we'll see, for example, in the next general election. Yeah, I was actually there at the count and because we had a candidate for the Heritage Party standing. It was very interesting because you've got the Liberal Democrats and they can get people in from all over the country just to campaign in one constituency. So there might have been a 1,000 people there uh, just in one concentrated area. So in a by-election, they can have loads of boots on the ground. They can knock on every door in the constituency two, three, four, five times. Um, they can't repeat that in a general election. No way, because they'll be dispersed around the country. So with the concentrated campaign, they can get better results. And I think that's what's happened in Tiverton and Honiton, combined with the fact that people there, or as well as all over the country, in Wakefield as well, wanted to give Boris a bit of a bashing, um, which you've seen. Um, but come the general election, they won't be able to repeat the result there. So what, what are you saying? That you think that they'll lose that particular seat that they've just gained? Um, I think we got maybe two years until the general election comes up. But I would say another thing is that I think... Under, you know, beneath the surface, I think we're starting to see um, a big rejection of both the Conservatives and the Labour Party by the people at large. And that hasn't fed through into the results of elections yet. But I think people are just fed up of the whole two-party system and want some kind of change. So maybe it's hard to tell with this one whether it's just, you know, what's happened for the last 20 or 30 years with a by-election, mid-term, um, the, the reigning party usually gets a kicking, or whether this is something that is um, emblematic of something deeper that is going to go on that you're going to see in the next general election rejection of the two-party system. Yeah, and that's all well and good, but we're quite uh, restricted, aren't we, Lisa, because we've got first-past-the-person. Mm. I think one of the problems um, with the elections in this country is we have a disengagement from people. Yeah. So if I got elected but half the people couldn't even be bothered to come out and vote for me, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily be slapping myself on the back that no. hard. I'm not, I'm not talking about him, by the way. I'm talking no. about him generally. I would be sitting there thinking, well, actually, I feel a little bit bad or sad or aggrieved or whatever that 50% of people didn't even engage yeah. in my process. And one of the reasons is because first past the purse means that you have a parliament that doesn't always accurately reflect the way that the votes were cast across the country. No. No. But that's not going to change anytime soon. No, and... I think whoever whoever has said that this was some sort of shockwave 
I mean, who would think that? You know, that a Lib Dem, I mean, the, the, the chameleon of politics that can turn blue or red at any, a drop of any hat. I'm not sure why the Lib Dems would be classed as any sort of shockwave at all. But you are right about our parliamentary system. It, it has disengaged millions of people. And I think the uh, Wakefield by-election was probably more interesting than this one because the Wakefield by-election got rid of their red wall Tory and returned a Labour candidate. Um, and I think, for me, that is the more interesting one because, you know, if you start to think about those red wall Tories and what happened in 2019, can Keir Starmer um, sort of reproduce what he's done in, in Wakefield, which I don't think he can? Yeah, see, Calvin, for me, 2019, it was such a peculiar election because, to me, it was a one-issue election. Uh, it wasn't even necessarily so much about the parties. It was about Brexit. So if you were a Brexiteer, you essentially wanted just to get Brexit done. You bought into Boris Johnson. So perhaps many people even went Tory for the first time. But one of the things that I'm finding interesting at the moment is the reports around uh, the potential Tories defecting to Labour. Now... I don't know what your view on defections are, but me personally, I, it, I don't respect them. Yeah, it's a, they're, they're a shocking mob. What's happened is they've seen <laughs> the way the, the wind is going and they thought, oh, my God, I'm on a loser. I was on a winner with Boris, MP, jolly good, Tory. Oh, hold on, loser with Boris, oh, over to Labour. Honestly, they should get... Fortunately, uh, the Conservatives are in a strong enough position to say goodbye to loads of these people, and they will be absolute shockers. They'll be disliked in the Labour Party, disliked in the Tory Party, probably even disliked at home. A load of treacherous people. I would wave a fond farewell with them. I do agree with you. There was a unique moment, 2019. We wanted Brexit done, and only one candidate was guaranteeing this. Mm. And that will also, I think, affect Starmer even at the next election. People unsure of what does he really believe in. Honestly, he sat there... He sat there as Corbyn's um, uh, EU guy and actually managed to do this because he's a lawyer. Oh, yeah. on the one hand yeah. this, on the other hand that. And I think people don't like it and I can't see him being elected with a majority at the next election, regardless of what whether Boris gets caught with his hand in the till or whatever else he's doing. I cannot see Starmer making it. Yeah, David, and for me, it's about integrity. I would rather have integrity, so this is who I am, and if I win, great. Mm. And if I don't, don't worry about it. Because at least I've stood for what I believe in. I've got, like, I've run for election twice. Mm. I've only ever done it in my hometown. Not because I've got no interest in being a general MP. I wanted to help my hometown. Mm -hmm. I genuinely believed that I could do that. Um, and I just, when I look at these people talking about defections, I just think, you've got no integrity. And how, mm. how would you stand there with a straight face and say, one minute you're a Tory and then the next minute you're Labour mm. or whatever else it is, I would just look at you and just think, I, I don't respect you. Yeah, well, they're complete opportunists if they do mm. that. And that happened before the, the, the last um, parliamentary period. You had, like, nearly 15 people defect from one party to another. And then they all got booted out come the election yeah, because I think point. they're really not respected um, by the electorate when they do do that. But, you know, to be honest with you, I think there isn't really that much difference between the big four parliamentary parties you've got, Tory, Labour, Lib Dem, Greens. You know, they're all following the green agenda, the 
net zero agenda. Um, there may be some differences on Brexit, but I don't think Boris has done it properly. And there's huge problems still with unfinished business to sort think... out. They're, they're all woke to one extent or another. And, and people want a change. I think, uh, the, I think the British, I think the electorate can see. They, I think, I think the, it's obvious how, what, what sort of level of politician that we have nowadays, which are, um, I don't know, self-interested, uh, professional. Um, you know, I was thinking, with, you know, with the, Mick, uh, the, with the Mick Lynch sort of uh, phenomenon where everybody was going, oh, my God, you know, who is this guy? I think what he did is when he started doing it at interviews and he was just... He, all, all he had was the courage of his conviction mm. and he was standing there saying, this is what I believe and I'm not interested in whether you like this or not. I think that is what the British public were responding to. Even people that didn't support the strike, they were responding to somebody's courage of their conviction. Yeah, the integrity. Yeah, the, the integrity, integrity, yes. Yeah, and I think people now are very savvy on, you know, the, the politicians that are there for the self-interest or for the higher political party and not actually for the people. Who in their right mind, though, would actually want to be in major public life? I mean, the abuse that you get um, on a general basis, whether it's in a, a discussion like this, in which everybody says, actually, you're all at it, you've all got your hand in the till, and by the way, if you stop, uh, stop sleeping with your aid, that might be helpful as well. I mean, no matter what you do, you are held to a higher... Judgment. Mm. I mean, Rishi, for instance, gets abuse because he married he married a billionaire's daughter. Most of us spend half our lives hoping to marry. Yeah, a I don't think he gets. I don't think he gets stick for marrying a billionaire's daughter. I think he gets stick for being um, the Chancellor of the Exchequer and doing stupid things like filling a car up in, with petrol that's not his car, and everyone knows that's not his car. Again, it's that being... It's being disingenuous and not truthful. If that's why he gets took stick. all the disingenuousness people out of life, there would be virtually nobody... It, no, there'd be nobody walking the streets. There'd be nobody sitting here, for instance. I mean, it, it is to be disingenuous is normally just a way of getting through life, isn't it? Hang on, what I mean, does that mean? <laughs> if you took away, <laughs> I'm supposed to be going to a break, but I just want to assess what you did. Are you? What did you say? If you well, I am saying I am saying that a lot of people. In fact, I'd say the vast majority of people are disingenuous. They really? are they are saying one thing and doing something no. else. Well, that's that's people in your world, you but not in mine. By your own standards. I am judging people yeah. by my own standards. Mm. Most people do not are constantly bobbing and weaving in order to get through life, and I don't blame them. See, you I got, don't agree. You, I don't think I'm disingenuous. Do you think you are? I don't think no, I'm, I'm not. Of course you're not. You're being disingenuous by saying that. No, my echoes like I, I do. No, most I, people are tr are struggling, right? to do the right thing. Sometimes they do it and sometimes they don't and they are basically disingenuous. Right, well, I'm going to go to a break and I'm going to leave you to ponder two things. Number one, would you consider public life? Do you think it's worth it? Uh, Kelvin's saying, why would anyone get into it? And also, are you disingenuous? Do you think most people are these days? I don't. Uh, Pat says, I think any politician who wants to cross up the floor should give up their seat and a by-election should then be called. I've got to yeah, say, Dominic, idea. you say the same thing. That sentiment is coming through thick and fast. If you vote for a party and then they, the individual uh, decides to change their mind, then you, the people... Uh, should be given that choice. Is it the new party that you want? Um, you tell me. Just before the break, Kelvin McKenzie was telling me that he thinks that everyone 
is pretty much disingenuous. And I was asking you, what do you reckon to that? John says, uh, the ladies are not, but the men are. That's <laughs> John. That's what, fair, that's, fair uh, that's what uh, John says. Um, Phil says, I'm as guilty as sin. Hmm. Interesting. Philip says, Kelvin's absolutely right when he says that the vast majority of people are disingenuous and that, has, that will be more and more the case the further into the future we go. Dear me, where's everyone else? I'm looking at my um, inbox. Where's everyone else that's sitting there going, no, I'm not disingenuous, I'm not disingenuous, Michelle. They not don't me, exist. Michelle. They don't exist. He reckons they don't exist. I do. Don't I exist. think there's some decent folk out there. I'm sure there are, but they're a vast minority. They're a very small minority. I think you hang around with the wrong people. I, I think I hang around with truthful people. They, you? Yeah, in the sense that they, they're not trying to pretend that they're, that they're some great par paragon of virtues. You know, you, you see it all the time. And that's why politicians get caught out all the time, because they're, they're, they're trying to pretend to be one thing, Well, actually they're, they're somebody else. But that's yeah. the politicians, though. I think you're hanging around with journalists and politicians who perhaps are disingenuous. Well, that may, and, be, that may be the case. And that's what I was saying about the sort of mixed-linked phenomena is he is he comes from a different place and he's got a different uh, you know well, fix when it, I, yeah. when I when I get a trade union leader held up as the as the way forward for a, for honesty probity mm. and personal belief then honestly I'll, I'll have to call it a day I'll have to Turn up my toes. Well, I'm yeah. going to fix this. I think you need to start hanging out with Lisa. <laughs> yes. And then we'll reassess the situation in a couple of months yeah. and we'll go from there. I think that is the answer to that. Right, Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, has set a date for a referendum which may or may not happen. Setting officer, I can announce that the Scottish Government is proposing that the independence referendum be held on the 19th of October 2023. Well, I'm just looking, by the way, lots of you, you're not listening to what Nicola Sturgeon's saying, you're writing to me and telling me about uh, by-elections. <laughs> that is the overwhelming thing that I'm getting through on my messages. You're still sitting there saying by-election, uh, defection. No, 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 no. You've got to trigger a by-election if you want to defect. Anyway, no, no, I think enough of that. Let's talk about Scotland. The legality of the second vote is still in question as the Westminster government is not giving a green light to a new vote. This whole kind of indie ref two is going to be subject to a lot of scrutiny. Will it go ahead? Won't it go ahead? Well, we'll have to wait for the Supreme Court to decide. What do we think to this? I'll pick up with you first, David. People will remember um, that when we had the last referendum, it was billed as an almost like a once-in-a-generation opportunity. Mm. Unless I'm kind of doing my maths wrong, an entire generation has not yet passed since, you know, and here we are in 2022. But this is kind of Nicola Sturgeon's thing, isn't it? She's not going to let this go. She wants to be independent. Should we have another referendum or not? Uh, no, no. It was only eight years ago, the last mm. one, and it was very clear that the people of Scotland wanted to stay in the union, and I think we should respect that. And, yeah, as you said, it was a once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-generation vote. So, you know, in, in 30 years, maybe we can have another one, but, I mean, what are we going to do? We're going to have a, a, a referendum every eight, nine, ten years until we get the right result, the result that Nicola Sturgeon wants. I mean, I think she's just grandstanding here to cover up her failures in her domestic politics 
policy because in Scotland, literally the education service, the health service, the police service, the economy are all going to pot in Scotland because they're really, really terrible at actually running a country. So if Scotland was independent and they were in charge, I mean, heaven help Scotland. And, you know, I feel really bad because I went to university there. I went to St Andrews University. So I hate to see, you know, it going down the tubes with Nicola Sturgeon and, you know, perhaps, uh, um, you know, going even worse if they, they do get this to go ahead. But are you more... So what you're saying, you want the United Kingdom to remain united? I think so, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not frightened of another referendum. You know, if, that, if that's what the people want, you know, fine. I think they would vote to stay in the union again. But, you know, we shouldn't have another one at this time. And then because what? If, we vote, if you vote to stay in... Is that it then? That well, what? the one in 2014 should have been it, you know, absolutely. So, you know... Perhaps there should be a time limit on this, you say, you know. So if you have a referendum of something, you don't have another referendum on the same thing for maybe 25, 30 years. I mean, that hasn't been ever set in stone. There's not any kind of precedent or, 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 you know, for that. I mean, I suppose with Brexit, we had a referendum, what was it, 1974, 75, and then we had the referendum in 2016. So, you know, it was about 40 years or 42 years between the two referenda. Um, So, yeah, perhaps, you know, that's the kind of uh, reasonable length of time between uh, having two referenda on the same things. I I think the Scottish National Party, they've got an issue here, they've got a problem, because obviously their number one policy is to be independent. You know, the Scottish National Party says it it on a tin. So Nicola Sturgeon or anyone who's in the SNP is going to keep pushing for this. It's always going to be there. So the Scottish people have got to put this to bed. And I think in the last referendum, it it was closer than I think anybody thought it was going to be, so it wasn't put to bed. But the issue that Nicola Sturgeon has is she's now the party of power and the party, um, you know, she's she's the ruling class now, and she's also not liked in Scotland. So there's two different things happening here. Should Scotland become independent and then... Should are people going to vote for that, knowing that the SNP is the, the ruling party? And I think that's the problem for the SNP. Personally, I don't see anything wrong with further, you know, with with places sort of managing their own finances and and devolving from Westminster. You know, we we've talked every week on this program about how chronic Westminster is and how it lets you know people down. So perhaps devolving power is a way to stop that. So I'm not against, you know, if that's what the people of Scotland wants, then I'm, you know, I would fully... I could Scotland understand that. is massively subsidised from England with the mm. Barnet formula. Yeah. So they, they need money and they need subsidy to keep them afloat. If they had to you know, provide all the money for themselves well, and taxation, I mean, heaven knows what state they'd be in. Kelvin, where do you sit on it? Uh, well, I'd be delighted to see the people, the Scottish people, um, have self-determination. Um, I, I do accept totally that they are a different country. I don't see much link between the way the Scots seem to think and act and the way that, uh, for instance, southern England thinks and acts. I think there's a massive divide there. So I would say a fond farewell to Scotland without... I, in fact, I'd be quite pleased to get them off the payroll, to be oh. absolutely honest with you. And, I, and by the way, I've always felt like that. I've always felt, and I, so I am in favour of a, another vote. And they can have as many votes as they like till they get the correct decision, which is we are off. And then, and then, by the way, 
Ireland is going to go the same way anyway, right? Just, just the population. So Ireland will become United Ireland. It's painful, but that's the way it is. And then I expect Wales to go. And uh, have, having seen what's happened to the old Yugoslavia, I'm afraid we just have to get on with actually that is what is happening all over the world, is that smaller countries are actually breaking away from the mothership and are setting out on their own. And if that's what democracy looks like, I am 101% in favour of it. Hmm. David, one of the things that I find uh, quite fascinating um, when you have these constant conversations around Scottish independence and all the rest of it, it's all well and good setting out dates and getting Supreme Courts involved in this, that and all the other. But there's some core aspects to independence that are just not properly answered. And also some, to me, massive contradictions. Because on the one hand, just for clarity, I want the Union, I want the United Kingdom to remain, just for clarity, that's my personal view. But um, if you're so desperate to be independent... Why is your literal next step to associate yourself with, for example, the EU, mm. literally giving away your independence? Because you're not independent then. You put mm. your sovereignty into a different being that, that is not yeah. Westminster, but it's still a different being nonetheless. And then huge fundamental questions such as uh, currency. So you want to be independent, but then in the next breath, you want to use sterling. It's just full of contradictions to me. There's huge cognitive dissonance there, isn't it? You want to be independent from Westminster, but then be dependent on Brussels. And you'd have less democracy there if you joined the EU again than if you did if you, you stayed in the union uh, with England in the United Kingdom. So, uh, yeah, and the currency issue, um, you know, so far they seem to think, or Sturgeon seems to be saying, oh, we'll keep on using the pound, but you can't. Well, unless you, well, you could use the pound, but you wouldn't have any control over the say in what we do, uh, over the, the, be the English economy then if they left. Um, so they, they wouldn't be able to have, you know, a seat at the table to make any of but, the economic decisions but, to, to do with the But power. that is up to them mm. in a funny way. Yeah. And that, that, that's what I said. And the other thing is, you're quite right. I mean, what about their share of the national debt? Mm. I mean, we don't want the national debt, but we, we're lumbered with it. And they said, well, we're going to give you, you know, uh, whatever it'll be, uh, you know, 20% of... Uh, X trillion, right? And they would just sink it. It would never get off the ground. So they'd be very skinned. But look, they, if they want to be skinned and they want to be on their own and they want Brussels to effectively run their exchequer, then let them do it. Imagine, by the way, if you think the problems will be large in Scotland, imagine what Wales would look like as an independent country. Yeah, but you see, I mean, I've got to say the thought of the United Kingdom breaking up, it makes me quite sad, really. Even on just an emotional level, I'd love to be able to back up that emotion with all of this. Yeah. And that. But just in my heart, it's an emotional position, I grant you that, but it's the United Kingdom and it is uh, Scotland is in there and Wales is in there and it, it is and I think that right. person... Well, when was the last time you either went to... Scotland, Wales, or well, Northern I, I'm Ireland. Well, I'm a little bit different because I'm actually quarter Welsh, so I do have a little bit of Welsh in me. <laughs> my dad's my dad's Scottish. You could be the Prime Minister. I think, I think, again, though, you know, we are so closely tied and connected, with, you know, all of the nations in the United Kingdom. None of this would be easy. And I think... That, and that's why perhaps a referendum is the best way to, to sort this out, because the Scottish people... Because what we're talking about now with... Um, Scotland going into the EU and wanting to be part of Brussels, that's SNP policy. That's not the, the Scottish people, is it? That's, that's Nicola Sturgeon's policy. That's, her, that's what she wants. So I think a referendum in this case wouldn't be... I don't think it would be a bad thing for people to, again, post-Brexit, 
Because remember, the last referendum was before Brexit. Now we're post-Brexit. You know, it's a chance for the Scottish people to start thinking through these ideas about what would Scotland look like. But, but there, there is another issue, though, is that the most of the support for independence is in the central belt of Scotland, the big metropolises um, like Glasgow, Edinburgh, also Dundee, which you find in the south of Scotland, the north of Scotland, northeast Scotland, Shetland and Orkney, there is much less support for independence and much stronger support for staying in the Union. So what would you do with the people who live in those areas, you know, maybe in Berwickshire, near England, and they would be forced to leave and they don't want to? Well, when it, but they're odd people, the Scots, aren't they? After all, it was... It you was, can't it, it was, I didn't, I didn't Hold on a second. Just look at the, uh, their electoral position. Only, only 25, 30 years ago, they, it was a Labour stronghold in which they used to send, what was it, 59 MPs mm. to, to Westminster, you know, every four or five years. Now, they've virtually got no Labour MPs and now they're all SNP. And, and it may well be that once the vote takes place and they realise how, how shocking it is to live under the Brussels yoke, that they will become Tories, in which case we can have a good relationship. I mean, that, what you're talking about there is the la that's the Labour Party, what the Labour Party did in Scotland, which was basically use Scotland um, as a vehicle for, for the Westminster Parliament. Mm -hmm. That's what they, the Labour Party did in Scotland. It's also what the Labour Party did in the Red Wall areas as well. They used people's yep. loyalty yep. and history and culture to fill the... But did nothing for yeah, them. and did nothing, and did absolutely nothing for the people there. So what what we're looking at with Scotland is we are looking at you know the failure of the Labour Party really, um, and I, that's why I think the Wakefield going back to by elections. That, that's why I think the Wakefield but, by elections. But the Wakefield swing was only twelve percent. Yes, yeah. And that's well, when you think how how hated allegedly Boris is out there, when you think of the cost of living crisis, when you think of the Labour Party is also hated as well in those red right. wall areas. So, so I would be I would be very worried if I were if I were Starmer and looked at Wakefield. There is he hasn't got a free pass at all. No, he hasn't. Expected one. Yeah, their vote actually went down in Wakefield, didn't they? The number of votes went yes, down. Yes, it did. Um, Dave said, Michelle, here in England, we should have uh, a referendum to vote ourselves. In Good idea. Of Scotland. But Lynn <laughs> Good idea. says, Michelle, no. Dear Michelle and all the GB News viewers, not all Scottish residents want independence. In fact, she says, to all UK citizens, please... Don't leave us alone with Nicola Sturgeon. Mm. <laughs> That's what Lynn says. Well, you let me know your thoughts, gbviews at gbnews.uk. Keeping me company tonight, David Curtin, who's the leader of the Heritage Party, Kelvin McKenzie, former editor of The Sun, and Dr Lisa McKenzie, ethnographer and academic. We do this every single time. What's an, what's an ethnographer? Briefly. It's a researcher that is embedded in the community that they're researching. That's it. Like an undercover spy or an undercover copper or something. Yeah, but I tell people I'm there. Well, you can't miss me, really, can well, you? Well, yeah, <laughs> lending in, I like that. Right, Nigel Farage will be uh, with us at 7 o'clock. Nigel, what have you got for us? Well, the new boss of British Armed Forces tells us this is our 1937 moment. He's basically comparing... Putin to Adolf Hitler. We'll debate, is he right or is there another motive behind what he's saying? Is it to stop further cuts to the British army by the Tory government? And also we'll look at the immigration tribunal yesterday who ruled that two Pakistani men who raped and abused underage girls in Rochdale a decade ago cannot be deported to Pakistan because their human rights would be under threat. Is it time to leave the ECHR? I think you know my view.
Nigel, we shall see you at seven. Uh, Graham's been in touch saying, I'm watching now and I'm disappointed in the guy on your left, Michelle. I don't know which one you mean. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you mean screen left or, or my left. I think you just quite frankly be disappointed in him both. Uh, he says, I'm disappointed in the guy on your left because he misunderstands that England, he's saying England is a country just like Scotland, controlled by London, but he's not thought it through. He thinks that London is England and it's not. England is broader than just London. Not sure I get that. No, I do. I imagine. understand oh, that. Go on then. Some I, I think do you've been drinking. I know. I know. I understand that. When you and when you come out of London and you go into the north mm. or even into the uh, Kent and south, mm. it is a very. It's almost like a very. You know this. It's a really different country and a different feel to what happens in London. And London is very inward looking whereas the rest of the country probably see things in a much different way. And I, and I do think there is that sort of... And when you've got the media that all that is all in London, all speaking to each other, and yeah. the politicians are all in London, um, you get all you get is that London vibe. And if you live up where I live in Nottingham, it makes no sense to you. Mm. You know, the debates... That, and, I, and actually, GB News is, um, you know, I'm not just saying this, is one of the few news programs that actually does look wider at the rest of the country which and I think that's really appreciated actually. Mm. David has been in touch by the way and said Michelle about this whole Scotland thing what about the people outside of Scotland don't we have a say in the splitting up of their uh, great British Union he says obviously not which is so so wrong but David hang on a sec because did you vote in the EU referendum and did you have that same sentiment there when you talk about breaking up the United Kingdom do you think then that people in the EU should have had a vote about whether or not we left and if not why not? Uh, I'm interested in your view there. Bill says, yes, let them have their vote. And then they can, uh, it's a word, Bill, that I can't read out uh, at tea time. That is uh, Bill's view. I think you can uh, colour in the dots, can't you? Right, Jack May, the billionaire founder of retail giant Alibaba, believes that those who are poor have no ambition. What do we think to this? I mean, I was just about to start reading this whole long script, but do you yeah. know what? Let's just get into it. What do you think to this? I'll start with you. You get yourself undercover and study people and all the rest of it. What, what do you make of it all, Lisa? It's such, a, it's such an obvious comment to make, isn't it, when you've made it? Oh, I've made it, so therefore everybody can. Um, is he wrong? Yes, he is wrong. Yes, Why? he is wrong. I mean, I, you know, I live, I've lived in communities all my life in working-class communities. I still say I'm working-class. I am working-class. And the class system, and I'm going to say it in Britain, is deep and embedded and it is, and it skews in favour of the middle class. So if you are working-class, you have to do everything twice as hard and you have to work twice as long. That is a, that's a truth. Oh, dear, oh, dear. But, but that, and that, what that usually means is when people have made it, and they do come from a working class background and they've made it, they do sort of perhaps, they, further along the line, they do forget how difficult it was in the beginning to do that. And that's when they come up with these ideas about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. And Kelvin's drumming his hands on the table well, saying, oh dear, oh dear, what's okay, the matter? Well, uh, the, 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 the reality is that those people who have, quote, made it, are you're talking about it being financial. Yes, right? yeah, that's, that's very Making that's money is... A, is a piece of magic. It's a bit of something that you're given when you're born. It's a bit like being able to play a violin fantastically. It's very unusual to be able to do it. But those people who then claim personal genius about it, right, is completely wrong. It is straightforward, right? It's, it's magic and hard work. 
And that combo is not given to everybody. And so I have both made a lot of money, I've lost money, I've, and by the way, so I'm a genius when I do it, and my investors uh, would, would have me shot when I fail, right? So making money. The question about the poor, I wouldn't worry about the poor. The people I worry about, the middle classes, because they're the people that pay the taxes. Well, I'm not worried about the middle class at all. They're doing, because they pay they the taxes, which, the pay, which the give the money to the poor. The middle class is doing fantastic at the moment. Oh, Lisa, there'll be a lot of people that disagree. Well, well they might disagree. Not, not, that's who, that's not, who not, I worry not, about. Everybody but, at the moment. But, well, life is odd for everybody, but not everyone has got the same resources backed up. Yeah, but you what, know, what are you going to do about that? Are you just going well, to back think, up a Securicore truck and... No, I think, I think we need to have a, a better redistribution oh, of wealth. Come of come course. My, my dad worked down the pit all his life. Tell me that's not hard work. It, no, he, it is hard he work. He worked hard every day of his life. But, 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 but what he wasn't Are, are given, you in favour of people working down but what, pits? But, I bet you're not. Am I I bet your dad favor? wasn't. Right, there were no, health issues. There yes, were health of issues. Was, yeah. But am I, am I in favour of working class people having decent jobs that can provide a good living and a safe home for them how, to live? How yes, are you I going am. to do it? How are you going to guarantee anything except unless we create taxes which allow the money to trickle down to people who trickle aren't down, capable? Trickle down economics does not work. It's a well, lie. Well, it may not and work it in your area, and, and but it has in never every worked. other area of the country, no, it people doesn't. are doing just there is fine. No, there is no evidence at all that trickle-down More and more people works. in work, right? The ta they don't you know pay taxes until 12 and a half economics? grand. It stays at the top. It what stays do you think, at the top. Long, Dave, you're sitting there quietly. <laughs> no, I'm, li I'm listening to the arguments. Well, I mean, I think that comment from the first person was a Jack Maher. I think that's incredibly patronising mm. and, and is really down on sort of working people and yeah. poor people because, you know, it, it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic standing is. There are some people with ambition, there are some people without ambition in every strata of society. But that's what he said. He said you're poor because you've got no ambition. Yeah, that's not true because there are some people who are poor who have got a lot of ambition and some people do, you know, improve their lot in life but some people don't because they just may be not in the right place at the right time or they don't get lucky or there aren't the opportunities well, for them. Well perhaps they value and, other and, things. In a, in a sense I agree with you that you know the working class people, poor people need the opportunity but I wouldn't be for a redistribution it, of wealth and creating jobs which are yeah. subsidised for the government for nothing because that's actually you know it, it, it destroys well, the that's economy what, well, as a whole. Is but, working but, class and poor the same thing? Round well, my way, round my right way, people that were considered in the old days, literally 30 years ago, the, the working class, i.e. Uh, carpenters, brickies, electricians, plumbers and all those guys. By the way, they're the guys, they're the guys round my way which drive, drive the big cars. <laughs> they are massively in demand. If you know a plumber, if you know a plumber, you stay very close to him, right? Well, the, wor or, the, working, the working class of the people that are more likely to become poor... They were, they, their lives are far more... Yes, they are. They're, these days, they're, that's not true. People yes, it do is. Trades, it's even more like you true saying, now than it ever was. They do really well. Yeah. Sometimes now, people who go to universities and they do all these really yeah. ridiculous courses... Yeah, absolutely. You know, ...and come out with loads and loads of debt... They end up yeah. in call centres. Yeah, they right, end up exactly. in call centres. And, and, and there are... But, you're talking about one group of people, which are the plumbers and the electricians. The mass... The, 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 well, some are doing well, but what I'm, I'm talking well. but what I'm talking about is the wider working class and the jobs that are available for them. So it's not about oh, I went to um, I did a, a degree somewhere and for a few years I'm going to 
do a stop gap at a call yes. centre, but my parents will support me in getting my first house. I'm talking about people that don't have that, who have to work in Amazon warehouses, who have to work in call centres and have no choice. But what, well, when... what about apprenticeships? Because one of the things that... I'm all for is... apprenticeships. I am all for apprenticeships. Where I'm working at the moment, we are looking at new apprenticeships in different areas. Because what... what... I am not saying that working-class people are in a position and they can never get out of it. What I'm saying is that the, the resources are not put what into those. Saying, right, OK, I was just about to say, say it really quick, but you did say it really quick because that is pretty much all we've got time for. What do you think, Sister Bit? Because I find it fascinating, by the way. What do we even mean by working class anymore? What does that even mean? To me, it's almost like a, a value set and a mindset. I would absolutely say I call myself working class and it's something that I hold as a bit of an identity and I feel very passionate about that. I might do that as a whole debate a different day, but for now, that's all we've got time for, Kelvin. Um, Lisa, David, thank you for your company and thank you at home for yours. Jane, you've been watching in Texas. I think you're the fairest away viewer that I have. You're welcome. Good evening to all of you. Uh, have a fantastic one and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Cur, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time.